You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekha Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of The Retail Perch. And uh, I know it's it's December already. This episode is probably going to air by the time and you're thinking, what the heck happened in 2021? And I know we were thinking the same about 2020, right, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fast year. I know. It's been an incredibly fast year. But, you know, there's been, I think, on the tech and the retail front, there's obviously been a lot of exciting things. I think people have had a chance to think about all the changes and the technologies and what it's going to do to their business. Gary, how are you feeling after Thanksgiving? Recovering? Uh, recovering, yes. I haven't uh, needed to eat for several days. So <laughs> trying to uh, get back to normal. Yeah, well, we hope our listeners out there, you guys have been safe and having a great, wonderful Thanksgiving, and we're glad to be back here, and we've got some exciting things lined up, and today we have somebody from across the oceans. Uh, I know we've spoken, I think, a couple of weeks ago from somebody from the UK, and we were talking about marketing and advertising in the information age, uh, and today we're going to be talking about the customer experience and creating these touchless stores. So all the way from Sweden, we have Daniel Lund. Daniel, welcome to the Retail Perch. Thanks so much, Ikar. Great, great to be part of it, and thanks for having me. Terrific. Well, Daniel, you know you have the floor. Go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your company, and uh, what you guys do. Sure, absolutely. Uh, my pleasure. As you said, I'm I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. So it's really getting cold here now. Born and raised in Stockholm. Always been an entrepreneur to heart. I think I, I, I actually started my first company while I still was in school. So before internet, <laughs> I started my first one. And it really stuck to me, the, the feeling of taking an idea and bringing it to market, even if it's a product or a service, you know, it's accomplishing that journey. I think people do tend to have great ideas, but it's uh, not the same thing as going through the whole journey of bringing it to market. So that really stuck with me and it kept me, uh, you know, in the entrepreneurial spirit since then. So it has taken me to different industries and different countries, always trying to find what I would call like a win-win. And if we can eventually reach a win-win-win, you have something. If you're really solving a problem, but everyone is benefiting from it, you will have a sustainable company. So that has led up to what I'm currently doing, where I'm living and breathing and thinking about 24-7, It is store key and lips. We'd love to tell you more about it, obviously, but to give you some context and background, I've never worked in retail and I've never worked extra during summer at a grocery retailer that tend to be like the summer gig for many teenage uh, kids. But that said, we saw that there was a big gap in the market when it came to grocery retail. And this is a transformation that happened in Sweden and started in, back in the early 90s, where Swedish grocery retailers, there are two, three big brands. They, I guess they took a look at the U.S. market and, and they saw the Targets and the Walmarts and, and these big box stores. So they started to do the same thing here in Sweden. They, they created these big box stores on cheap land and had customers driving to their locations. And while they did that, they 
closed down the the local stores, the the local convenience stores, the the small you know mom and pop stores. So more than half of the number of grocery stores we lost during that time. So leaving mostly the the rural areas of Sweden, it's quite of a large country aerial wise, given our population. Leaving these towns of like a thousand people or two thousand people without access uh, to groceries, so we really saw that as an opportunity of like how can we can reestablish that type of service in in these markets in these markets where the traditional retailer weren't profitable, but at the same time, which we felt was very important to be a sustainable business again, to keep a price level that's still accepted by the consumer. So I mean, we can open up a store and we charge, you know, five dollars a can of Coke. We might sell one, <laughs> and not many right. more. So how can we keep that price level down? And as you all know about retail, it's about controlling our cost. So the biggest cost driver usually is rent and staff. So we felt that if we can find a way to leverage technology and reestablish this service, but run them and manage these stores from remote. We can take away the biggest cost drivers here and keep that price point for the consumer. So we went on to build a technical platform, which is named StoreKey. So when I explain this to a person, the easiest way would be like we operate these stores like if it was an e-commerce, right? We we sit from remote, we control the assortment and pricing, and work with coupons and generating rebate checks. We control, we see what people buy, what they don't buy, like typical what you can do on e-commerce, but we are now bringing a store to your location and let you walk into the store completely unmanned, but we're holding there your hand while you're in the store because you use an app to kind of access the store where you scan the items, access your individual coupons and do the checkout. You do all that in our platform. So we can communicate with you while you're there. So in a weird way, we can become very personalized. <laughs> as they don't feel alone, even though they walk into an unstaffed store. Like a grocery vending machine. <laughs> a big grocery vending machine. Absolutely. Yeah. But you can walk in there and, and you can touch the, the avocado to see if it's ripe. And and I think that's is still the biggest challenge when it comes to groceries and the whole digitalization of groceries. And when it comes to e-commerce is that as an individual, you have, first of all, Groceries, it's I have an urge of tendency, a tendency of the like immediacy right now that I, I want salmon today and I don't want to put in an order somewhere and wait for that to come next Tuesday like I want it today. Right. So that so that's one challenge. The second challenge is the cost of delivery for e-commerce when it comes to groceries is just so high because you have you know refrigerated goods and you have short durability. And so so that's another challenge you have. And then the third one is that you have to from a consumer perspective, trust that grocer to send you those perfect ripe avocados or bananas or whatever it might be. And the trust, at least in Europe, is not there yet. I know in Asia, they have come much further when it comes to that. So that was our angle to see that, you know, these underserved rural areas don't have access to e-commerce. There's no one's gonna deliver milk to them <laughs> across the yeah. country. There, there's no money to make on that. So how about we bring a store to you, add that convenience of both in vicinity, but also in open hours, because then we can op- be open 24 seven and you can pop in at any time. So in a sense, yes, becomes to this big vending machine, but you can still get inspiration and you can you know touch and feel and smell, uh, which is probably one of the biggest advantages of having a physical store is creating that type of you know, 
other senses, right? Um, so that's what we started. And, and we started our first store in the spring of 2019. And since then, we've been opening up stores pretty much every month. Uh, so we're close to 30 stores now. So we even beat Amazon to the punch. <laughs> like we have more stores than Amazon, but they will sure uh, pass us pretty soon. But it's super exciting to see that the stores are so appreciated uh, as when we open up a store and we can do that within a day. And, and that's the, the most awesome thing. Well, the challenge I can see, I'm, I'm sure you obviously address this, is trying to understand demand supply, right? So when you go to a location and you put up a store, how do you make sure you, because you have limited square footage, you have to be very good with understanding what's going to be in demand because every now square foot, so to say, yeah, carefully thought about. Absolutely. And that was, again, given the background of ours that none of us founders were within grocery retail before, we have to learn a lot and we have to build a team with expertise and kind of building that around them. But in the beginning, we were focusing on kind of trying to standardize the assortment, if you will, to have a, a, as wide as assortment as possible, but make it as standardized as we can. Because also when it comes to the supplier side, we can then kind of create some sort of volume, again, to keep our margins. <laughs> but what we've learned very early on is that even though we identify a location, say that we just give you some like round numbers, there's a, look, a town of a thousand people, their store closed five years ago, and there's a half an hour drive to the nearest city where they can get groceries. So we have that in the middle of Sweden, and then we have one location looking at exact the same in the south of Sweden. It was night and day when it came down to the assortment, what they wanted to buy. So we had to adjust the assortment to fit the local demand and what they wanted. But the advantage of having everything data-driven in one system makes it so much easier. Right. So when we open up a store within two weeks, we know what this store is heading to. Will this store be more of a convenience store or will this store be the ones that you buy your baking goods or should we increase the, the produce section? All this, the system can tell us within just a couple of weeks after we open. Mm -hmm. And obviously in the beginning, we didn't know anything. We just put out an assortment and see what's yeah. sold and then we make adjustments. But we even took it one step further, which I think was kind of unique to us, where if we went out uh, to a city or a town and said, we're going to open our store here uh, the next month, please download our app, register. So literally that become your key to the store. And while you do that, we want you to scan your fridge. So we put in a feature in the app. So we had our future customer scanning their fridge and, and pantries in their house. And we were able to pull that data to see what type of assortment are this demographic buying today. Yeah, yeah. No, so, yeah, just to give you an example, like orange juice, right? You can have dip seven different types of quality of orange juice. So why would we go out there giving the limitation of our square footage where we can only fit perhaps one brand of orange juice instead of a guessing game we know beforehand? And it kind of killed two birds in one stone because then the the argument that a consumer might have is like, oh, it's just a small store. They might not fit what I usually buy. But if we do it this way, we kind of turn it around and yeah, say, we're going to... We're going to maximize your assortment. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so very data-driven to like 100% almost, but also the ability to then, you know, 
use your kind of always the guts of a storekeeper to kind of put in a local, you know, local honey or a farmer's product or, you know, something like that, that's very unique to that specific store. So we, I would say we have like an 80-20 kind of ratio where 80% is, would be your typical kind of grocery items and 20% is very, very local. Hmm. Wow. So, so the whole customer experience is driven through your app, right? That the app gets them access to the store and then the shoppers scanning the products as they're selecting them and then can walk out. Correct. So, so you're not using any computer vision like Amazon well, or something. Yeah. Well, that's a very common question that we do get. Like, Because I would, I would rank, if, if you talk about autonomous stores, I would rank them in two different categories. So one would be our ones, which is the app-based version. And the other one would be the Amazon version, if we should call it yeah. like that, that use cameras. So we looked into that solution as well. And when we started this in the, you know, back in late 2018, Amazon just opened kind of, I think the first store and competitors to Amazon building these type of systems were just emerging. And the cost of those cameras was just like, I mean, I'm going to sell milk and minced meat. How can I pay for it? How can yeah. I pay for this? So we kind of ruled it out just because of the cost of, of investment. But then when we start to think about what do we want to create here? Well, we want to create in the Lyfts brand, we want to create a store that's very personalized, that don't feel that is autonomous, that doesn't feel that it's un unmanned. And if I can only track my customers by camera, I mean, I can pull a lot of data from that, but there's no way for me to communicate if yeah. I can only track them. Yeah. So the, the plus side of having the customer on your platform during the purchase journey or customer journey is, you know, trumps everything. It trumps the coolness factor for a customer to walk in, grab something and walk out. Because just not only for us, be able to drive top line where we can create different kind of populate coupons or recipes based on what they do in store, but also help customers find the item in store or, you know, like do that typical stuff that customers do ask, where yeah. can I find this honey, you know? Yeah. The camera tracking can't help you with that, right. <laughs> but but we can. So that, that all makes a lot of sense, Daniel. But I got to ask you, as, as a retailer of many years, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is what kind of shrink do you look at? You know, do you have people or how badly do you have people taking advantage of your operation coming in? Maybe they scan a few items, but walk out with more. Right. Again, a very you know typical question. And when you have an autonomous unmanned store, what is the shrinkage? What what's, what's the shoplifting level? And we're we're not that naive to say that we don't have any shoplifting. We do. Every retailer do. But what what we have learned, even though we we talk with these big grocery stores chains of the world, they're not that happy to discuss openly what their kind of shrinkage level is when it comes to shoplifting. But we tend to kind of find out anyway. And we are at par with, I would say, the industry level, even though we don't have staff there. Yeah. And, and I, I can give you two reasons why. The first one is that if you, Gary, walk into our store, we know it's you. You have to identify yourself. So if you are walking in there with intention of taking a can of Coke, go to the gas station where nobody knows you, then go to a store where you identify right. yourself. Uh, yeah. so, so that's kind of the first reason why we have a lower kind of shrinkage level. The second would be that based on the locations where we establish, 
right? So if you establish in an area of 2,000 people, they tend to know each other. So yeah. if nine, 1,999 of them are nice people, that creates 1,999 kind of mini cops, policemen for us. They call us, they text us, hey, there's a guy in the store, I don't know that guy. You know, so, so that kind of keeps it kind of in, in within the family, if you will, where yeah, you become yeah. part of the community. Source um, security. <laughs> yeah, in, in a sense, right? And, and, and just to give you that perfect example, you know, when the, as I mentioned, the snow came and the first winter when we had stores out in the rural areas and snow come, we didn't know how the stores will survive, like how the door will jam because packed of snow, but we are unmanned. So how can we control that? So we literally put a broom outside the door and our customers are kind of- Are, are, are in the, uh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I would never do that at my local store here in Stockholm. <laughs> I right. would complain if there is if there's snow in, in front of the door, right? And plus, so, you say the consumer psychology, I think when you expect people to trust you and you expect good behavior, people tend to conform to that as opposed to if you put defensive mechanism where you're suspicious of people, you're more likely yes. to invite yeah. people with bad people. Absolutely. But I, will, I, will, I would also say that, you know, in the beginning, it was just like, let's see where it goes. Do people scan one milk, take two, you know, all that typical things that yeah. could happen. Is it intentionally? Is it unintentionally? And, and sometimes it's, it is unintentionally, uh, you know, that you thought that you bought three, you're scanned th three times. But Given that everything is data-driven, we always know what we should have on shelf. So we always find that discrepancy within a time frame that most is 24 hours. Yeah. So when we find a discrepancy, we can then the system tells us this this ought to happen, you know, Sunday afternoon. And then we could manually, if we would, if we will, check the cameras and say, well, it was Chikar it was in there. And you know, did it did, did he do this purposely or was it just, you know, he didn't mean to do it? Then they also the system triggers uh, and kind of auto block a, a person or a customer if they perhaps walk into the store and they, and they don't buy anything. That and that might happen. But if you do that in the middle of the night at three thirty in the morning and you do it on a Sunday and then the next weekend as well, <laughs> the system will alert and, and, and block you. And then it's for a manual check. So, so it, it's, we have the technology to, to kind of prevent misuse or malbehavior of the system yeah. but it's rather serving the the 1,909 of a village than protecting right. the whole store for just one person sure right so do you daniel this is fascinating do you see this model applicable to certain geographic regions or do you think do you think this is this has universal appeal no matter which market you're in definitely universal i would say the only the only challenge that we have is that it's based on a smartphone kind of system, right? This, it's, it's this specific platform is, is based on, on a smartphone. So if you would be have a territory that don't have that kind of adaptivity of, of smartphones, that would be a challenge. But then we can always tailor the system to, you know, accept credit cards in, in some fashion. But definitely technology is here to you know, reestablish this type of service where traditional retail can survive. So that goes for, I mean, I don't know how many food deserts are around in the US, but there are plenty that are would be in need of this type of service. Right. But I the the, the fascinating thing to, to me, what, what happened was when we started this, you know, it was very focused around the grocery and, and our food deserts. But what we have built as far as a platform 
is applicable to any type of retail. It doesn't have to be groceries, right? right. So, so I, I usually give this example if Gary, I, I recommend you a book, right? And you go down to Barnes and Noble and, and you're gonna try to find that book. It's like, good luck. You know, where, where do I even look? <laughs> is, right. it, is it title, is it author, is it, yeah. you know, section? Uh, so you have to find a person and that person can't even answer it. So they have to go into a computer and search. I mean, you can do that in your phone. Right. I mean, just point the customer to the direction, and and once you find that book, check out in, in your phone, and and you're in and out. And this is what we see as a trend overall in retail. And if you definitely think about the next generation, Generation Z, it's like they are digital natives. They there are so many surveys that they even turn down a store if they see there's a physical line. Like they they are not used to waiting around. So. I think every retailer needs to adapt to that and provide different ways of checkout. If that's a self-checkout kiosk or if it's a mobile checkout, if it's camera tracking, whatever it might be, they have to do something. But what I keep kind of trying, you know, trying to make them understand is that the, the customer is not one. So you can't only have one type of system and think that everybody's going to use the system mm -hmm. or like, you know, if I walk into a store, perhaps this time I want to talk to a person or I want inspiration. But next time I walk into the same store, I'm in and out. So you have to have these different channels and ways of, you know, meeting the demands of the, of the customer. Right. Um, and you especially saw that during COVID, Sweden took a different approach when it came to lockdown. But still, you know, retail got really, really hurt. And the, the ones that were able to survive were the retailers that were on some sort of a platform. So they could react and adapt, right? So they could offer, you know, curbside pickup or pickup in store, collect and all that because they were kind of digitalized ready. Yeah. But the, the retail that were still in their old fashioned POS system, they had no option. They just had to close shop. And who knows when the next pandemic comes or when Generation Z, you know, says we're not going to shop in your store because it's just too old fashioned as a customer. Yeah. And, and that's going to happen for sure that we already know. So I think the whole retail is under a, a huge transformation, which is super exciting, and, but it's also quite scary because it's such a low margin business in general, right? So you have to, you have to, it's not only about meeting demands of the consumer, it's about, you know, having control of the inventory and, you know, all that, so, you know, binding capital. If the, the stores are unmanned, how do you handle distribution and how do you handle restocking? Um, yeah. you, you know, here in the, the States, and I've forgotten over in Sweden how things are handled, but, you know, a typical grocery store will have multiple deliveries, right? You know, some product coming from their own distribution center, others, you know, local vendors. So you've got stuff coming into the store all hours of the day. How do you address that? Yeah. So th th that was, you know, one of the biggest challenges, obviously, in the beginning, as we started to build this chain. We knew for from day one that we needed advantage of scale when it comes to the, the whole supply chain. So if we would order dairy products, they are used to rolling in like what do you call it, like trolleys of items. Yeah. <laughs> and when we put in an order, we said we want five milk and then we want two half and half. And then we want they're like, what? You know, and we want it to this field in the middle of nowhere. So we knew from day one that we needed to reach scale to be able to you know get the attention 
But we kind of reversed that psychology and we then went to this biggest dairy producer or provider and, and asked them, like, where do you sell your products today? Because these big grocers tend to do more EMV, like more white uh, own label. They are losing kind of brand awareness of yeah. their own brand today at these big grocery chains. So they were super excited of getting that back on shelf again or in the fridge. And then was always about meeting halfway. Like wh where can we meet halfway when it comes to taking care of the cost of supply chain here? Because we want to work with you guys and you want to work with us. And as soon as we started to create a cluster of stores, so one cluster could contain four to five stores and we can have one staff kind of taking care of that one cluster. Yeah. So in the morning, everything again, data-driven, in the morning, they log on and the, and the system will tell them, today you're going to go to store number three, you're going to give some TLC to shops number four and six, <laughs> and you're going to meet the delivery of, of dairy products uh, at, at two in the morning, yeah. or whatever it might be. And, and then we're kind of routing them where, where to go. But what we then saw after year in was that this is really putting a pressure when it comes to planning, because as you say, the deliveries can come from multiple sources. And if we have to be there to meet and greet, to take the delivery every time and replenish the shelves, uh, we're never going to be able to scale. Yeah. So then we, we created the double size of the store. Uh, so that store would be in square footage, about like 600 square footage. But it has back storage, both a dry room and a cold room. Okay. So now we don't even have to be there. Mm -hmm. So the system just alerts us. Now the delivery came from XYZ supplier or distributor, and it could sit there. We don't have to attend to it immediately. And that has really helped us to, to scale more. So we source, but we source it directly from the supplier. So what happened here in Sweden is also these big grocers tend to own the distribution market as well. So that's why it's hard to get into a new market because like, where can you source the food? Because they own it. So we go directly to the Heinz of the world or, you know, and say, we have limited space on our shelves. We don't have room to have five different brands of ketchup. So who it's going to be? It's going to be you guys or the next guy. And you source it from the supplier. So that's how we went about it. So how do you handle the customer side of the demand? So what if I've got a big party and I go and clean out your store? Is there a limit that you're placing on how much people can buy from your store at a given transaction? No, no, no limits. I mean, the system, the thing is, the distribution is so good. So if we would run out maximum, you know, the next day we'll replenish again. It's more of a challenge of finding that perfect level of quantity, right? So one, another learnings that we had to make was that, you know, categorize the assortment. So in the beginning, each item had the same value, right? So if if the soy sauce were oh, empty, were, that were was empty. as big of a disaster. <laughs> you know, so we had to trim the system of saying that that those A categories can never be sold out. Right. But then you also have the aspect of having fresh groceries, right? So you have a durability. So always trying to minimize your food waste, uh, so you don't have shrinkage on that side but never be sold out on these eight categories. If somebody would clean out the store, you know, I'll, I'll send them an, uh, an extra Christmas present and, and thank you. <laughs> but no, that would be a, a good problem to have. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like this is obviously a big data problem, right? So it's optimizing, understanding data and creating that equilibrium 
between yeah. supply, demand, and maybe even proactively understanding your customer like you're doing, like before you open the store, you're trying to get a sense of what these people would want. I think being proactive about your data and predictive is probably a, a big aspect of what you do. Yeah, and, and it's amazing to see, you know, now we're getting to close to three years in, in, the, in this industry. and the recommendations that the store heat platform is giving us as uh, as far as coupons or, or drivers is just incredible where it was like a year ago mm-hmm. because just the amount of data we're able to collect during the way and the good thing here is that if you think about it the customer walks in identify themselves as they walk in so we have data on the whole journey not when they're accepting the door by the cash register and, and identify right. themselves as a member we have the whole journey so we have so much data and it's all in one place. So we know it's accurate. So it's not coming from different silos of, right. of data collections. It's this is all in one. And that makes it so much easier for us to act on that data. Uh, and I made a promise to myself and the company, like we will never send a coupon on meat to a vegetarian, like, you know, because we have that data. And, and I think from, if you think about it from a customer perspective, I think personalization is something for the future, like it's a must have. And I think that your willingness to share your data is there if you get something in return. But most of these loyalty programs, sometimes you, you're a member, but you don't really don't know why, because you don't really don't understand the loyalty program. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just pops in a five you know percent discount. It's like, oh, but why, you know? And, and I get this generic coupon that it's not tied to me. The only thing that they got right was my name, you know? So I think there's a frustration from the consumer level that they think that, well, we, I give you this, I, I feed you with my data, but you're not leveraging that data to my liking. And think about a retailer. If, if a retailer has their own app, if you would have a, a Kroger app or a Walmart app and whatnot, they, the app provider will always ask you to allow them to send you push notifications. and most of us as customers and consumers, we disable that. So the reach that they have is an average of about 18%. Our reach is at 82. And that speaks volumes to me because then we know that our customers want our communication. Because again, we're not you know, sending a, a discount on meat to a vegetarian. Right. So it's always relevant, right? So I, I always say that retail is about nuts and bolts controlling cost, <laughs> absolutely. But... It's about solving problems. It's about solving customer problems. And those problems tend to look different on any given day. And if you cannot solve those problems, there's no way for you to build loyalty and brand awareness. It's all about that. Yeah. And if, if you can have tools to help you with that, utilize them, use them, because they're out there. And, not, and I'm not speaking only about Storky. On any other, if it's automation about coupon or mining the data or, you know, you have so many possibilities here to make it right, right. but you have to be able to take that leap. So uh, I got an interesting question for you, Daniel, slightly digressing. So, you know, a lot of retailers talk about growing their customer, right? How to make them more valuable. How do you increase the basket size? How do you drive profitability, right? So when you're looking at your business model, do you look at it as, hey, is average store sales per quarter 
going up? Are we driving basket sizes up? I mean, are those metrics even important? Because you have a, you're really putting these in places where you kind of have a fixed population and you're probably the only game in town in some sense. So do those metrics even make sense in that context? Yeah, so we have different KPIs that we always look at, right? So yes, average uh, receipt basket size uh, is one of them. A number of receipts, obviously, typically retail. But we also see the, the life cycle of, of a customer. So the frequency of a customer is super important to us. As we open up a store, we have like a surplus. We have more customers the first month than our people living in that town. Because people from other towns are coming by, <laughs> we become yeah. a destination. And then the second month, we kind of draw 40%. And that just killed my stomach, I assure you. <laughs> you know, the second month, like, what is what the heck is going on? Right. But then we d- deep dive in, in the data, and we saw the number of households were still the same. So both people in the household came the first month to try it out. But then you come into your everyday Usually, it's the, the one person in the household who tend to do the shopping. Yeah. Uh, so, so the number of households will stick the same. So, so that would be the, the one KPI. How many do we reach in our vicinity? Um, and then the, the metrics would be, how can we twist and work with drivers like coupons or whatnot to be able to add that you know, fifth or sixth item to the basket? We play around with it all the time. We even played around with kind of having a subscription model, if you will, where uh, customers are willing to pay a fee for future rebates. And it was super exciting to kind of try that out. So again, falling back to it's one platform for us, it's so much easier to not only A-B test, but A-B-C-D test at all, at all time mm-hmm. and see what sticks. So, so it's super exciting to kind of, I mean, operational excellence is about you know, twisting those kind of turn uh, mm. bolts all the time and, and, and see where, where it sticks. Um, and, and we're able to do that and, and we can do it from remote, which is super convenient for us. Yeah. No, this is fascinating. I'm, I'm curious to, you know, actually see what our listeners think about this. You know, if they find uh, something like this applicable in the U.S. market, would they even consider? I mean, we have a lot of, you know, there's, uh, I think grocery retail is going through a very interesting phase right now where people are trying to figure out, they know e-commerce is on the upswing, but they don't know how to make it profitable, right? <laughs> so they're caught in this yeah. weird between rock and hard place type of situation where, you know, yeah. one channel is taking off, but you still haven't figured out how to make it profitable, which means it's eating into your overall margins, right? And uh, yet you have to keep it going. So this seems like a very exciting format for retail, Gary. And clearly, you know, as people like Amazon have been, you know, experimenting with this, but like Daniel said, the cost of each store is still pretty, pretty high. I'm sure technology yeah. try try to catch up to see if this can be commoditized in some fashion. Yeah. I just want to give you one example that I think when it works to as a beautiful kind of example. So we have one franchisee and he's an existing grocery retailer. So, you know, he has that one store within his town and he's the grocer, he's the king in his town. But he also identified kind of smaller kind of towns around his establishment. So he has four lift stores as mm. working as satellite stores. So his whole supply chain is going through his main store and then he's replenishing the satellite stores. Yeah. 
So it's a sense, it's a way for him to establish a bigger footprint uh, in, in the kind of area outside his normal kind of vicinity that, you know, of customers. And again, he has increased his overall <laughs> turnover and, you know, he's, he's way more profitable today because also now it's more data driven as a whole. Right. So he has more control and he knows what sticks, what rebates goes well or not. Um, so it's just beautiful to see that it, it could be also be a way to kind of extend your chain of satellite stores. Because I yeah. think even though if you're a big box player, the pendant had kind of going back now. So now you want to get close to the customers and we're trying to figure out ways to do that. Is it e-commerce? Is it click and collect boxes? Is it dark stores? Or how do we get closer to the consumer? So there will be different, different ways of doing that. But we found a way of being profitable where others can't be by making it this way. Yeah. But what I'm super excited about is it's more about the whole you know, transformation of retail in general where, where it's going to go. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating model. Uh, Shaker, I, I think we got to have Daniel back. You know, I'd love to see where he's at a year from now. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, what's going on and how you've continued to transform the market there. That's right. And not to forget that, uh, Daniel, if you give us your address, we'll mail you the retail perch coffee mug and you can have some of that really oh. good sweet <laughs> The real reason for being on this. That's great. Yes. <laughs> So no, this has been fascinating. I think I, I can keep talking to you the whole day. I think yeah. <laughs> I'm just not sure if my listeners would have reached their destination and turned off their, you know, <laughs> car peeled to their seats. But Daniel, this is this is amazing. I think clearly you guys have found a way to work, make this model work and scale. So I'm sure your learnings are going to be valuable no matter which market you get into. I want to wish you guys all the very best and hopefully we'll see you guys in the United States. So do you have any presence in the U.S. market right now? You know what? We're, we're in talks with uh, several retail chains uh, as for now. So I would be disappointed if we don't have some sort of a presence during next year. But I don't think it would perhaps be under the Lyft's brand, perhaps. It would be more of somebody who licensed the uh, the Storekey platform oh, right. to adapt. Yeah. Right, yeah. white labeled technology. And if that would turn out to be a grocery or a convenience store or a gas station or a bookstore, who knows? But several talks, which is obviously super exciting. And uh, and I would be happy to circle back in a year from now because to me, a year in the startup world is, is way ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and they said, you know, a year in a startup world is like dog years, right? You yeah. Know, yeah. One year is like seven, if not more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, right. and, and also what the number of gray hairs you get. You know, it's, it's, it's adding on. Well, I, guess, I guess, Gary, he's saying that I've been in the startup world for a long time. <laughs> well, well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still not where Gary's at yet. <laughs> They're still on my head. At least. Yeah, 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 no, I'm just uh, losing it. <laughs> uh, no, but this has been a terrific, terrific conversation. And, you know, we hope our listeners found it as fascinating as we did. And uh, we'd love to get your feedback. You know, you can write to us, the retail perch at birdseye.com. And uh, listen, if you have any questions of Daniel uh, or you want to find out more about his technology, what, how can our listeners reach you, Daniel? No, ha happy to you know, answer any questions. And uh, please do reach out to me. And I think the easiest way will be on LinkedIn. So you know, search there, Daniel London. I should, I should pop up there. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Perfect. thank you so much again. And guys, you know, it's been great. I think coming back on the show and we have some exciting 
speakers lined up here the next couple of weeks touching varied topics. And, you know, I think you start understanding we're in close to our 60th episode here, Gary. Wow. And, and I don't think we've had two episodes on the same topic, really. No, no, Just I agree. The sense yeah. of the yeah. breadth of the, and, uh, you know, appreciation of how broad retail is and how many things it takes to come together to make it happen. And our future looks exciting. So, so Daniel, thank you for being with us and good luck with everything. We'll look forward Thanks, to talking to you again uh, soon. Yep. Yes, my pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Yes. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.